when people have a difficult time being um, acting on change, which was, was which is really what innovation is about. I try to start with something uncontentious, something that we can all have a common ground and believe to be true. I am Conrad Schwab, and this is Changing Careers, a podcast about the changing nature of MBA careers and how MBAs can change their careers. In my working life, I've met many people who join an MBA program with the intention of moving into the consulting industry. Most of them don't actually know that much about the consulting landscape. In the last few years, the consulting industry has changed dramatically as clients now want more than a presentation deck after three months of study, and they want results fast. So I was very pleased to speak with Priscilla Lee, head of the Applied Innovation Exchange in the UK for Capgemini. As you will hear, Priscilla has had a long career in digital transformation, and we had a great discussion about how companies and people need a different mindset when dealing with digital disruption. First, I asked Priscilla to talk about what is the Applied Innovation Exchange. The Applied Innovation Exchange aims to do is really solve these complex problems where we don't have a prescribed solution and apply emerging technology and ideas in order to give value to our customers quickly. So I always say we're almost limited by our own imagination because we are really trying to build something from the future that works today. Priscilla, you you spoke about something quite interesting before we started recording about the kinds of problems that you take on. And it's not about the 10% increase, but the 5x. Can you talk a bit more about what is the difference between those kind of uh, uh, problems that you try to solve? That's right. I think one of the, one of the challenges or opportunities in a facility like this is to define your purpose. And that purpose for uh, the AIE is not to be doing the um, what I call incremental innovation. So for those familiar with the Horizon model, there's Horizon 1, 2, and 3. And Horizon 1 is about projects or use cases that modernize the core. And that is not what we do. If you already know exactly what the problem is and how to solve for it, there's lots of capabilities within the wider Capgemini that we bring in to, to, to help that, facilitate that. But what we're interested in is the Horizon 2 and 3. That means adjacent industries that have solved that problem before but somehow hasn't been applied to your industry. Or Horizon 3, where we, call, we consider truly transformational. And in these horizons is that 10x or 5x. And there's so many companies that are desperate to not just take incremental steps forward. They see the disruption and they know I've got to fundamentally change my business and I've got to be able to deliver a better return and much faster and much with much more certainty. And that is the kind of problem we want to be working with. I mean, we hear this thing about speed a lot, right? We've got to, companies have to work at this digital speed. I mean, what, what is that? What does that mean? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't always love it when they say we just do it faster, but I do think one of the differentiators of, of this capability in the AIE is that I've always told the team what we do and what we do for clients is in weeks. I really believe you can prove a hypothesis, you can prove value, your assumptions within weeks, and the way we do that is you can build a proposition, you can test the proposition, and then you'll have enough assumptions to be able to validate You'll be able to validate those assumptions in your business case. So that's the speed I'm, I'm working with. Although I do provoke the clients. If you look at some of the best, best out there in terms of digital proficiency, 
if you really want to be software excellent, you deploy every second like Amazon does. And that's kind of how we, we operate. We want to be pushing the boundary and all these capabilities, and that speed is very important, and the, the ability to act on it quickly. So it's definitely one of our key, key um, strengths. I guess the thing is with um, any kind of consulting type of engagement, you can do it in weeks, etc. But for the clients to operationalize and implement, it takes a lot longer. And the barrier sometimes is going to be the organizational structures or people or policies. How do you help clients think about that? That's very good. So it hits upon our second one. I'd say speed is important. And the second differentiator is the ability to scale. Um, and a lot of clients um, move to that second question of how do I then embed this um, into my organization and, and be able to scale and, and leverage it on a continuous basis. So there's two parts to this. One is um, Capgemini, again, the core of what we do is a system integrator. I think that positions us so nicely when it comes to all those technologies in the toolkit. We're not beholden to any one of them. And being able to see the bigger picture and then connect those connect the dots literally, whether it's a startup, a medium-sized business, a Google, a Microsoft, all those technologies that can then give you the scale is, is certainly something we focus on. I think the other thing we provoke too is longevity. Scaling means longevity. I think I read, a, a, I read that the top 50 Fortune 500 companies um, in the next 10 years, I think 75% might not survive. And that's a usual quote we use with businesses because the top five today are all software-driven companies. They're no longer the, the ones you've seen um, um, 20 years ago. So it's really questioning, you know, what is my sustainability as an organization? And sustaining that means scaling it within your people, your processes, and your technology. So we'll look at all those lenses as we start proving that value. We'll start saying these are their, I call them like gotchas. These are the, their, your areas where you'll trip up behaviorally as well as technology, as well as um, other assumptions. So we're really trying to mitigate risk every point, uh, every part of the way. What you're saying, it's a very different kind of model from what people think of as the typical consulting kind of model where people, you have consultants who visit a client, uh, maybe stay there for three months, gather data, and then come up with a pitch deck, right? And the perception is that they, these consultants prize the analytical abilities. I mean, for yourself, when you look at your team and you try to build that team, what are sort of the qualities that you would like to see, you know, that kind of where people can come in, almost, it's almost like this, you say provoke, but it's also playful as well, I think. Oh, you're absolutely right. I, I, and maybe it's a bit of a leadership style, but um, there are very different people in my team, diverse in thinking and diverse in background. I mean, you name it, ethnicity. Um, and, I, we're, and I think there is a tendency to, in consulting to fit a box, to fit a certain professional, um, maybe even look or way of working. Um, I see in the future that we lean into much more our own personalities and our character. We let that authenticity come through. So the last piece, I think, is a key differentiator is that human-centered approach. Us coming across as... Um, people, honestly, people that are trying to do what's best for them and also being honest when there's certain um, uncertainties coming along, not trying to cover it up. And to your point about skills, and I think the larger Capgemini, uh, Capgemini event is kind of um, our brand in terms of our future of consulting. We need to look at consulting differently. It is not just about the purely analytical, um, research-oriented, strategic um, capability. I think it is about exploration. 
There should be so much more being done across industry, sector, even across discipline to be inspired by what's happening in different areas. We were just talking about AI and art. What is the value of AI-generated art, which will go on sale for the first time this quarter? What does that mean in terms of the value we place on things? There's just much more of a multidisciplinary approach. We even have anthropologists. We have nuclear physicists that come through here. How do you speak to them? How do you appeal to their problem statement means being much more diverse? Um, and other, so other skill sets, I would say, is really this innate curiosity and this hunger for taking it the initiative to do it on your own. What I ask of the team is no one's going to, I'm not going to direct you exactly what to do. There's a lot you have to go on your own and explore and be curious and challenge, challenge me. So I think there's, there's a huge sense of creativity, strategic thinking, intermingled, I would say, understand what emerging technology does. Rather than ask, oh, I wonder what AI does, or I wonder what the future that might that bring to ethics, we should be exploring that. So we, we are a questioning group of people. We don't, we're not afraid to be challenged. Um, and we like the sense of adventure. And I think that's a whole different type of personality in consulting than one that is worried about what they might, you know, worried about what they present to someone rather than being kind of true to yourself. How do you personally keep on top of all these uh, new developments that's going out there? Is it something that you read? Is it a book that is it books the type of books that you read? Is it websites? Again, I'm really glad I have such a diverse team because they read a lot of medium, um, different blogs, uh, sometimes fairly high tech. Um, yes, I've seen look at HBR articles, but I think what's really most effective in, in learning is the storytelling. When I am able to be exposed to storytellers that have a point of view. It really starts to trigger an impression uh, of what could be possible. Um, so I just did an ethics talk on um, AI, and I, I likened it to the story of, of Fantasia, the movie from Disney, where Mickey Mouse enchants the broomstick. The broomstick fills out the cauldron. I mean, there are certain kind of underlying messages in there that are actually threats, existential threats to AI. And it's that kind of cross, again, intermingling of concepts that is right, really quite inspiring to me. Um, so yeah, just kind of, I, I even have an inspiration day where I encourage them to take, take the moment and go out there, get some headspace, go to a different um, discipline and see how they innovate, innovate, you know, whether it's in schools, whether it's in sports. So we do sports tech, just really broadening our horizon. So I, I don't know if that's a specific way to answer a question, but I think not to be too narrow in where we find research or or ideas, yeah. Who's a good storyteller that you like? Wow. That's a good question. Um, I guess Disney is that. Disney's, I mean, they've really got it down. I mean, it's high, there's very archetypes to storytelling. I think, um, I, can't, I don't know if that I can name one. I'm a big fan of, of movies, by the way. So when I watch one, I'm always thinking about how are they starting a story and how are they ending it and where's the, usually there's some kind of, um, conflict or contention, something that isn't quite believed to be true, and then you kind of you you you, you discover it along the way that maybe you've you've there's a new insight. Um, and I've kind of figured my own storytelling, and, and I guess uh, what I'll share with you is I find that when people have a difficult time being um, acting on change, which was, was which is really what innovation is about, I try to start with something uncontentious, something that we can all have a common ground and believe to be true. And so, for, for example, for AI, I, I said, you know, do we believe that AI should be equitable, fair, and just? 
right? I mean, nobody really, everyone was like asked absolutely in the, in the room. And then I said, how many of you believe that the applications you use day to day powered by AI, like Instagram, Facebook, your spam filters, Spotify, are for certain equitable, just, and fair? No hands went up. And how many of you in your organizations are really putting all the effort you are, or at least enough effort into making sure your AI is doing the right thing and no hands went up. So you can see the kind of provocation starts, but then you, you, don't, you want to ease them into that kind of discovery. You don't want to be um, turning people off of an insight. I like the way you use the word provocation a lot. And actually, I was, my attention was drawn when I think you posted a video on LinkedIn about some work that you, you and your team did with uh, DVSA. So they're the agency in the UK that does all these driving tests. Right, And I was fascinated because I was thinking, this is a government agency. They've got a monopoly. You have to go to them for a driving test. And here you were working with them to make them digital, the, the test digital. I mean, what is the background? Why did they want to do this? Yeah, that's a very good question, especially because um, when I talk to you about framing the problem and the kind of work we do, you might think, really, Priscilla, it's a driving theory test. But actually, their, their core issue was that they own a lot of assets to, to operate this theory test. And they can't see that in the future. One, because it doesn't give good customer service. Not everyone could get there. Um, and second, it's expensive. Um, so, so just to clarify, so they in the past, they, people had to go to a testing center, is that right? To, to do a theory test, is that right? That's exactly right. So they have to go there. They have to enroll. They have to book. It's usually sometimes miles away from where you are. There's no flexibility. And these are kind of managed in, I would say, various standards, you know. And part of this was... Uh, and, I, and I think I learned a lot from our client too, the DVSA, is that there's a lot of importance put on identification that you get from, from getting your driving theory test. People cheat. They actually go to jail and then cheat again because getting that um, piece of identification can get you to do fraud. There's a lot of fraud and crime on the backs of these, these ident this identity. So on top of the fact, yes, we want to reduce cost and let people take the test from anywhere, anytime, any device. That was the thought. They layered it on, by the way, we really need to know who's taking it every given point in time. We have to be 100% confident or at least feel very confident that we're putting all the secure measures in place. So integrity and invigilation and anti-fraud layered on top of that equation does make it interesting. So what we ended up building was a platform with multiple APIs where we had typing DNA, which was a startup in the States, where within a short number of characters, like a tweet, we can tell it's exactly you that's typing. That kind of confidence level because your typing has a pattern. So that's one AI. We also consumed background sound while you're taking the test so we know somebody's shouting the answers to you. We also have object recognition we use from Amazon. So we know when you're holding a cup, when there's a phone. So all those objects are being identified and flagged. Um, we're also authenticating your voice. We're authenticating your face. I mean, we have used Everything you can think of for a test. And I think what's interesting is that when, you, when we tell clients this example, they think, wow, if you could do that with a test, maybe I should be thinking about this more from a um, transportation of goods and services. Think of any use case, but these um, opportunities start to arise. You think, wow, I could really apply this in so many different ways. And then we have AI layered on top of that to identify all those behaviors and data to be able to, be able, to, be able to uh, predict this is likely going to be a fraudulent um, test taker. So again, using that um, 
the data lake of knowledge to be able to start being intelligent around these decisions. Doesn't mean there's no people involved. It just means we're assisting those invigilators um, in a much, much more sophisticated way. So very, very excited about that um, opportunity. So has that been rolled out already? or um, We had done that pilot, or we had done the pro, uh, proof of value, I call it, in about eight weeks. And we're in the situation with them right now of piloting versions of this and in different test centers. So um, they do have a goal to to upgrade the system, but I, I think I'll leave it at that at that point, yeah. So if we take a step back, and um, you've been working in various companies doing digital, or, or digital has been in your job titles in one way or another. Um, if you look back at it, you know, can you tell, talk about how your career has changed? Uh, what are some of the kind of skills or, or back exper- great experiences that have kind of shaped the way you approach the work you do now? Um, absolutely. Uh, I think about it a lot. Actually, I take stock about the past a lot and how I've gotten here. I think there was one pivotal moment um, when I finished university up in Toronto. Well, actually, it was in, in Waterloo, uh, Wilfrid Laurier. I finished a business degree. I took a high-tech marketing course. I was really interested in computer science. I did a bit of coding. Um, and I joined a digital consulting agency. And I got the chance to go to Palo Alto and meet some leading experts in, in the field of at the time, you know, the digital revolution, I suppose, or the internet phenomenon. And it was that that sparked, you know, this is really exciting. We have a real chance to change how people behave, work, communicate through technology. And I kind of got the bug there. Then I went into innovating within a telco at Bell, at Bell Canada. So I was in their product development innovation there. And then um, I also knew what it was like to try to transform a landline business into an internet business back to feeling the disruption the loss of revenue and how to supplement that and then I did I went to Cambridge and at the uh, after that I started my own uh, startup which is like the Shazam Spotify for art um, art finder which really got to blend my passion for art and my passion for technology and it's how you sell and share and recommend art really and build it from the ground up a small nimble team and then I joined the airline industry. So you could see this kind of, doesn't matter what industry, it's really the problem that I love to solve for. I love the autonomy and the ability to be creative. And I think building that skill set of um, shaping a problem, uncovering some of the fundamental assumptions around it, and then just rolling up your sleeves and being able to get it done, delivered, um, I think there's a, a Facebook quote uh, by Sheryl Sandberg, like, done is better than perfect. Just get going. And that kind of th- thirst for taking it on yourself and that initiative was a big skill set. And now I find myself here. I never thought I would, um, you know, running the Applied Innovation Exchange and doing exactly that. But the common thread from all of this is I have a fundamental belief that we can make things better through technology and ideas. And it's just just so happens that's been the common thread through my career. I was very grateful to Priscilla for sharing this conversation with you. I enjoyed our discussion about what makes a great story, especially how one can use stories to provoke those deep discussions about what is it going to take to get that five or ten times improvement. That's a skill that I feel everyone needs to have if you want to stay on top of your own career or to make sure your company stays ahead of the competition. Next week on the podcast, I head to New York, where we will hear from someone who's doing exactly that. 
he left a long corporate career in shipping to start a company that he hopes will give that quantum improvement in the shipping industry. I also want to give a shout out to Tim F1983. He or she left a review on Apple Podcast and said, and I quote, with such a diverse cohort of interviewees, this is a go-to podcast to find out a little more about what's happening in the world outside of my own little silo, unquote. Tim, thanks very much for that positive comment. And you can look forward to more of these interviewees in the future. Remember to subscribe to this podcast and leave a rating, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others discover this show. Till then, you've been listening to me, Conrad Chua, and I look forward to speaking to you in two weeks' time for another episode of Changing Careers. 